0: Generation Pastor here, we are continuing our series Swimming Upstream. Um, as mentioned, I just want to give a, just another heads up to parents who have, uh, who have young kids that starting next week, we're going to be moving into some sensitive topics, some sensitive issues that maybe you wouldn't want your younger elementary kids to be a part of. So what we're going to do is we're going, we're going to provide a two-hour option all right, for, for your first through third graders. There's already a two-hour option for babies through kindergarten, so we're just gonna extend that through third grade. Um, so your your kids will be able to go to their normal hour of life group, and then the next hour that where they would usually maybe be in here with you, they can go to um, kids' worship. Um, so if they usually go to um, service the first hour, they would go to kids' worship the first hour, and then they would come then they would go to the life group afterwards. But we do encourage um, your kids if they're in the fourth and fifth grade to be in the room, to be part of the conversation. Um, It will be age appropriate, but at the same time, it'll be just some conversations that you're gonna wanna have and and begin with that age group. All right, so we're continuing our series, Swimming Upstream, and we're going to dive into the question this morning of when does life begin? When does life begin? It's a, it's a crucial, crucial question on so many levels. And, I, and what we'll see a little bit later on is that in that question is laced a bigger question, a broader question. Because when we start talking about the, you know, when life begins, really what we're getting at is the sanctity of life. All right, what gives life its value? What gives life its value? Now, there are a lot of answers to that question, when does life begin, that are out there. And I want to read the answer to that question that's out of some literature by Planned Parenthood. And this is basically... a. You know, some literature where titled Small Talk, Big Issues, and basically talking points on how do you talk through abortion. And one of the questions that they address is when life begins. And this is the answer that it gives. When life begins. Questions about when life begins are personal. Absolutely. And it's just not that simple. For some, it's based on faith. For others, it's a matter of science or medicine. One thing we do know is that politicians aren't the experts. That response right there is one of the reasons, one of the reasons why a series like this and this topic this morning is so crucial for us to work through. It's because with such an important question of when life begins, they get a non-answer. Not only is this not helpful, it's not satisfying at all. Because essentially what happens here with the question of when life begins, it just says, hey, it's a, it's a tough question. It's hard. It's not simple. And, you know, and some base it on faith and some base it on science, as if those are opposed to one another creating this false dichotomy that somehow science is saying one thing and that people of faith or the Bible might be saying something different. And then you muddy the waters a little bit more and you just throw some politicians into the pot. All right. So what happens is is that for for a question that needs clarity, for a question that needs so much clarity, you get a non-answer. Well, this morning we want to give an answer to this question. That is true. It may be by God's grace, satisfying, satisfying. When life begins, what does science say? Let's just start there for a second. What does science say? Science says that life begins at fertilization. Sperm, egg, meat, at conception, right there, A distinct being is created, has its own DNA. It is genetically distinct from the mother who's carrying this this child and that's what it is, this life so early in the process. It is human because humans reproduce humans and any animal, produces anything after its kind and humans produce, reproduce after their kind. It is, the baby is in a human being. So it's distinct. It's human. It's also complete. Own genetic code. Everything at fertilization, everything at conception is there. Hair color, eye color, Gender, ethnicity, it's there. Nothing is added to it. It's a complete person. It's a complete person. The only thing it needs is time. Time to develop. That's what science says. And you would think since science says that, Slam dunk, we've answered the question, when does life begin? Let's pray and go have lunch. We're done. Because that's the answer. That's not satisfying because that's not really what's behind the question. And that's not really why the question is being asked. The, the question is being asked for a completely different reason. The real reason we're asking the question is not because, because science does confirm it. It is a human life. The reason we're asking it is because the question is on the basis of value and rights. Not so much is it a living human being. Does this living human being have value, worth? Does it have rights? That is really where this gets really jumbled up and mixed up. And you get unsatisfying and unremarkable Responses like this. So what we've done as a culture is we've we know the baby is a human so what we're going to do is we're going to separate being a human being from being a person. We're going to separate personhood from being a human being. And I want you to go down you know on a journey with me. Historically, when we have separated personhood from humanity, tell me when that's ever gone well. When has that ever gone well? When we have divorced being a human from being a person, it didn't go well for Native Americans? Didn't go well for Africans? in other forms of slavery, not just American slavery. It didn't go well for Jews. It's not gone well for women. And it is not going well for unborn children. When you separate personhood from being a human being, there will always be injustice. There will always be a victim. That's the nature of man. To create categories, superiority, inferiority, inferiority, where individualism or other isms trump human life, trump someone being a person. It will always lead to injustice. And this is... The deal, Science can confirm the beginning of life, but it cannot assign value. That's why ultimately I believe that explaining it biologically, we need to do that. And it's not in opposition to scripture, but it doesn't satisfy really why the question is being asked. Because really what's going on is a question of value and worth. And the Bible is very clear on this, is that, Our value and worth come from God. This is a theological, moral, and spiritual matter in answering this question. God is a source of life, and life will always be devalued when you separate life from him. Life comes from him. And if you try to have a category for life apart from him, you've, you've gone into... In an arena that is not rightfully ours or yours to go into. So, our value and worth comes from the fact that we're made in the image of God. This is what Genesis sends forth. We are made in the image of God and are unique in dignity, value, and worth. Image bearers. That's why we're different. This is why we're going to start in and why it was necessary for Pastor Corey last week to set the groundwork for the authority on the matter. So a lot of times what we say is like, you know what, who was there at the beginning? Nobody was there. How do we know? Well, there was somebody who was there in the beginning. It was God. And God is, is giving us some insight on not only what happened, but why it happened. Not just what happened, but why it happened. All of this is his idea. We weren't around. He consulted nobody. So when creator God is ready to do his work, it starts rolling out. And all he has to do is begin to talk. He just begins to speak. And things that didn't even have categories are now in a category. And he created the categories in which the things that are being created now exist in. He made everything. He defined everything. It's often been said that in Genesis 1-1, if you can believe that verse, you can believe the whole Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That there is a God and that he is a creator of everything. And because he's a creator of everything, he he shows that he rules over over everything. That he's sovereign over everything. He has authority. He has rightful authority. We're not any different. When you create something, we file for copyrights and all these kinds of things, and we'd be upset if somebody took what we created. That's mine. If you created it and you said, you know what, I'm going to change this up a little bit, no one's going to come to you and say, how dare you do that? It's mine. I have the right to do this. Well, God has the rightful authority over everything. He can speak into every aspect of life. And he does speak into every aspect of life because he is the one who spoke everything into existence. That's the power of our our creator God. All right, so what is God doing in this creative creative process, okay? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we're starting in Genesis, and Genesis means beginnings. It means origins. It's important that when we're answering the question of when did life begin, that we we take a step back and ask the question, when did life begin? (laughs) Because it's going to provide the framework to answer the question, when does life begin? We got to go back. We got to go back to origins. And God give us some, gives us an insight. So it says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So you have this water globe, and God, we don't even know what's going on here. If we were, He's given us some insight here. Blow by blow here. We're seeing, okay, all right, we got a water globe. What's going on here? He's creating night and day and like night and day didn't exist. There weren't categories. Why is there a night and day? Why is there even a night and day necessary? And he keeps breaking down. He's separating waters from waters and he's, he's, you know, bringing up dry land out of this water. And now there's water and there's earth and like all, like God's creating these categories, What's going on? What are you up to, God? What are you doing here? Let me just go ahead and fast forward, okay? He, we get to um, later on where he, he produces vegetation. In Genesis 1.20, it says, Then God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly, not swim, above the earth across the expanse. So God created the sea creature and said, let, let living creatures that move swarm in the water, not fly. Those are God's categories. He's building this thing out. And what is he doing when he, in this creation process? He's building an environment. He's creating an ecosystem in which life can thrive. God by nature is a life giver. He's a life giver. That's what he knows how to do. That's what he does. It just emanates from him. That's why later on in the garden, when sin comes into the world, that's the introduction to death. It doesn't come from God. It comes from man. So he's creating all of these things. And then at the crown of it, at the peak of creation, he, he, he flips the script a little bit. He, he changes it up a little bit. And he says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Right there, he, you, you, get, you get some insight on the fact that God is a, he's a, he's a triune God. He's three persons in one He's Trinity, that's where we get that term from Trinity, that God is forever and eternally lived in community. Three persons, persons, and we're made in his image. It goes on to say in his likeness. No one else is created like that. No one else is created, nothing else is created like that, we're distinct. Now, attached to how he makes us in the image in which he makes us, because he is sovereign, because he rules and he reigns, his image bearers, the people made in his likeness are going to do the same. So he says that, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and and over every creeping thing that that creeps on the earth. Now, we're not... We're not like the other animals. We're over the other, other other animals. We're distinct. How does He make me and you distinct from all the rest of living creation? What does He do? He makes us in His image. He sets us apart to Him. God is a holy God. He is a God who is set apart. He is a God who is unique in His nature. And when he creates man, he sets us apart and he separates us from the rest of living things. And that, and, and in that, we rule. We're the exercise dominion. And in 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. You hear that repetition? We are image bearers of God, we are unique in dignity value and worth. In Genesis two, seven in the chapter uh, two in verse seven, it says, then the Lord God formed the man from dust and from the ground and he breathed into him the nostrils and his nostrils the breath of life. Do you see the, the intimacy, the care, the formation of man? And then your breath is my breath. God says, you're like me, you're like me. And this is why issues that surround the devaluing of life are, are so sad, wicked, evil, and outside of God's very, very good design. And when God was creating this environment for life to flourish, he creates everything and he says, go, live, it's made all for you. We stop that process. We create our own categories. You're a human being, but you're not a person. We create our own categories. And every time man gets a hold of something, and we try to separate life from the life giver, our lives will be devalued. And no life is more devalued than a life in the womb of its mom. Millions upon millions of babies, aborted, killed in the place that God has designed and purpose for life. Look at this. God created like in one way that we're like God and that God is a life giver and he's created this mechanism, this this process that we share in. We share in that process. We're (laughs) where one image bearer and another image bearer, a man and a woman, male and female, come together and make another image bearer. That's how God makes people in His image. That's His chosen design, His His way of perpetuating life is that I am going to allow the ones who are like me, the ones who are distinct, the ones who are different than other animals to to perpetuate like image bearers, image bearers. Image bearers come from other image bearers. That is the gift and the wisdom of God and the opportunity and the privilege that we have as people made in the image of God. We're distinct. Again, when we devalue, we reduce ourselves. We're not like some advanced animal. We're not, you know, we're not just, you know, just a little smarter than some of the other animals. Anytime you elevate animals, you will lower the dignity of man. Beware pet owners. We're different. We are created to reason. We make choices. We're not just instinctive creatures just doing what our nature does. When people act like that, what do we do? We look at them and say, stop acting like an animal. (laughs) We say stuff like that. You're better than that. No, the squirrels aren't gathering out here today contemplating eternity. Given their noted dangerous habits in the middle of the road, maybe they should. Maybe they should be contemplating their life in such a way. Dogs, when you fill up that bowl and they hear it, they don't run in there, say grace, and then eat. They don't do that. They don't. They don't thank God for their food. We're moral beings. We have a moral compass. We have a conscience. You ever notice that without anybody telling you, you did something wrong? Sometimes you just feel like you just did something wrong. People who don't even know Jesus, who aren't Christ followers, we have a conscience. My kids growing up, you know, they get into stuff and sometimes they come in the room and are like, oh, daddy, I did something. Whoa, what made you come in my room? Because when the dog did it, the dog's not coming to your room, hey, <laughs> you told me not to eat it, I did. Like the dog doesn't care. But our kids do. We do. We're different. You know, raccoons aren't out here running around asking, whose property is this? Am I trespassing? Like, I'm just, listen, I say that a little bit in jest, but, I, but we know this. We know that we are different than animals. So let's not elevate animals. Because when you do, you, you devalue people. But listen, this is the unique thing about God makes us in his image because he wants to have a relationship with us so he can commune with us. We're made after his likeness, remember? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living in community for all of eternity. We're like him. That's why we are a communal people. We're a people of community. We are made to have a relationship with God. God is not asking animals to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not saying that to the animals. It's almost a mockery of God to think so, right? That's, those are the, those are the personal ways in which he communicates with mankind, people made in his image. We're different. Now I want you to look at how he has personally purposed our lives, how he has created us. So when we're talking about, you know, you know, fertilization and conception, like what's happening in that process? Is it merely biological? And what Psalm 139 tells us is this, is that God is present in the womb. He's there. It's part of his handiwork. Look what it says in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 15. He says, For you you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Men have souls. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. I was intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. There are no such things as accidental lives. In the economy of God, there are no such things as unplanned lives. God doesn't mess up in making image bearers. He doesn't get it wrong and he's chosen the process in which that happens. And listen, we get to be part of that process. And that's how we're like the life giving God. We, through us, bring forth life. It's a privilege. Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you prophet to the nations. Have a plan for you, Jeremiah. I knew you. I made you for a purpose. I made you for a reason. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Job, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. There's something biological physiological going on in the womb. Absolutely. There is something spiritual and supernatural happening right alongside it. And when you rip spiritual, supernatural, God's work, you rip apart the sanctity of life, the things that sets us apart. You set it apart from that. And then you open up a can of worms You open up options that ought not to be options. The womb is where God does his intimate secret work of creation. And it would have been a secret to the Psalmist, but you know what? It's not a secret to us anymore. It's not a secret to us anymore. We, we have video, we have cameras, we can watch this process literally give birth before our eyes. We watch it from conception all the way to its final stages to delivery when a child is delivered. We can watch this. It's, it's not something that's done in secret with us, but yet the Psalmist who could not see it, he said, I praise you. This is, this is wonderful. I wonder at your works. We look at this and we see this and where is, culturally, where's the wonder? Where's the wonder of life? I want you just to think about how impressed you are with the things that people make. I mean, you have shown great respect Dare I say, sometimes we revere people who have made tremendous contributions and even have created things that are just incredible. We can't stop talking about it. But what about the God who made the people who make the things that we're impressed by? What, what about that God? How come we're not, how come there's no wonder, no reverence for for him and that he makes us that makes the things. God's ultimate, God's intimate life-forming work in the womb should be cause for wonder and worship. All right, that's it, that's it. And sadly, it's become, the womb has become a place, not of worship, it's, it's, been a, it's a war. There's a fight. It's not a fair fight because there's a lot of kids losing, millions upon millions. Now, I, want, I, wanna, I wanna be clear that I know that as we bring up these topics of abortion, that in a room this size, people watching online, that countless people in here have been, have been impacted by that. Personally, you know somebody, maybe you encouraged it. I, listen, I, I, get, I get that. And that's part of, part of the challenge, if you will, because we're swimming upstream and this the culture is telling us a lie and the culture is going one way and in order to go the other way, truth has to be said. Truth has to be held up. God's truth, God's design, God's best has to be held up so that we can run to it, so that we can run to it. And please know that the heart, <laughs> the heart of us communicating these things is that we, want to, we, th- that we want to communicate it in such a way that it, it also resembles the heart of God because we're made in his image. Amen. We're made in his image. Amen. We want to hold it up. We want to hold it up, but we w- just know that as we shine the light on this, we don't shine it on it to shame you. We don't shine it on it so that you feel even more alone than maybe that you do in these situations. We shine the light on this so that we can be truth tellers and so we can also be part of the solution so that we can also walk alongside those who are hurting. But we have to shine the light on it. God is the life giver. He's a giver of life by nature. Listen, everything everything comes from him and and we are made in his image. God has given us that privilege and we resemble the God who created us when we benevolently welcome life into this world. Listen, your life, you sitting in the chair that you're sitting in right now was a gift from God. You didn't earn the right to be here today. And the reason you're here is because God created you, right? And somebody saw the value of your life, allowed you to develop, to be born into experience the God that you were created to experience. That's the reality. Sadly, we are in a culture that does not hold the same values. And this shouldn't surprise us on some levels because there's what you're going to find with all of these topics that we're going to talk about, we're going to be in Genesis a little while because everything goes back to design. It goes back to creation. It goes back to the intent of the creator and God did not create these things to harm us. He created them for our good and for his glory. And our joy is maximizing him into so much as we in our lives line up with his good design. And it's sin that busts that up. It's sin that disrupts all that. It's a culture of death that kills all of that. So when God is saying, life, life is coming from him, and he's saying, run, flourish, flourish. Adam and Eve in the garden said, ah, we want to do our own thing. We want to have our own lives. We want to have our own way. And there you have the process of you running away from the life giver, the source of life. And when they sin and sin enters the world and we have their sin nature. Listen, when they sin, death comes into the world. That's chapter three. You know what happens in chapter four? A brother kills his own brother. It didn't take long, did it? It didn't take long for sin to show you what it thinks about life. And if you remember, part of the issue with Cain, who killed his brother, was that his worship was wrong. Remember? His worship was wrong. He didn't bring bring a sacrifice that pleased the Lord, the right sacrifice his worship was off, listen, it's no doubt that your view of God's image bearer will be off. If you have no regard for God, it impacts the way you value life. It will. It will. And so if you, you, as you've seen, we have separated the life making process from God. Sex is minimized, it's trivialized, it's devalued. It's dealt with in an undignified way. It's not crazy for the offspring of the life giving act to then become marginalized, trivialized, dealt with, discarded in undignified ways. They're connected. They're connected. Just takes a little time to catch up with it. But after when it does, you look around and you look in our culture and this is what it produces. We have a wrong view of children. We don't value them as we should because we don't value life. Can we all agree on this? Is that a child should always be wanted? That a child should always be wanted. And listen, no matter where you are, on the subject or in life or in your journey and with your faith journey, listen, you want to be wanted. There's nobody in here running to loneliness. There's nobody in here who says, I wish nobody loved me. I wish I could be forgotten. No, you don't think that. You want to be wanted and so would that embryo (laughs) if he or she had time. And that's what he or she needs time to develop. And there are some lies that cut that off. There are lies that culturally we believe that cut off that opportunity. And I just want to end here with two. One, I think there's a false notion of the future. Namely, ours first. Let's think about us. It, it hurts my heart that a mom would think that the life that God is creating inside of her womb, that he's knitting together, that he's, he's given that opportunity, that privilege to, is that this lie that this life that's growing inside of me is an obstacle to my life. That's the lie, that it's going to be in the way of your future, not part of your future and their future. There's no opportunity in that, they say. And we, we make <laughs> false assumptions about our future on our present circumstances. And because we make false assumptions about our future and we act like God on our present circumstances, we project that onto this image barrier that's growing inside of us. And we say, your future must end. Or you look at your current circumstances and you think this is that, I don't want you to come into this world, not this world not this timing, God didn't mess up, remember? I don't want you to come into the world into this mess. And we project. I want you to think about some of your lives in here if we would have projected on you. That just because you've experienced pain and hardship in your life, we should have cut it off at the beginning of it because it wasn't worth living. I came from an unwed mom. My parents died when I was eight years old. My father didn't value my mom's life, he killed her. My father did not value his life, he killed himself. Eight years old. There's a committee that would get together and say, that should not happen to any child. It would be a favor to Bruce if we just went ahead and snuffed it out. What happened? Let me tell you what happened. Redemption happened to Bruce. I tell you what happened, what happened was that we make it sound like these circumstances are what defines the life instead of the God whose image we're created in. He's the one, your creator is the one who defines your life. And he is above any circumstance or any situation that might come across your life. No, there's a story that's told, you know, that makes it circulation. It's a story about a medical school professor who he gives his students kind of a, a case study and he gives us a case study and he asks the students what they would do. And he says, the father had syphilis and the mother had tuberculosis. Of four previous children, the first was blind, the second died, the third was both deaf and dumb, the fourth had tuberculosis. What would you advise a woman to do when she is pregnant again? The student answered, I would advise you to get an abortion and the professor says congratulations you just killed Beethoven now look look the professor misses it he misses it because his aha moment in there is that someone who made contribution even great contribution you just killed. Listen, to the human being, to the image bearer who seemingly makes no contribution to life, is worthy, has dignity, has value to live. And that's a fact. That's a fact. It's not based on your accomplishments. It's based on God's good gift, his grace. He's the creator of life. No one's earning that and nobody has to prove that they have the right to it. Nobody should have to do that. So when in the womb and any of us outside the womb, you should not have to prove your dignity and worth and value in this life. No one has to earn it. Another false notion is this is a false notion of our freedom my body, my choice. Listen, freedom and autonomy, we know, and we don't navigate like this in life, we know that it doesn't mean absolute autonomy. It doesn't mean that I'm allowed to do anything with my body, right? We have laws against things when you do something with your body and it bumps up against somebody else's body. You're not allowed to do anything you want with your body. That's why we started at creation because it's not your body. It's not my body. I am God's creation. And God says, Hey, I look at you and I see your worth even though you don't see your own because in you, even though it's marred and distorted by sin, I still see your value because I see my imprint on you. I see my image in you because I made you. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. He's a life-giving God. He's a life-giving God. And listen, we as image bearers should be life-giving people. Every opportunity we get, we should be people of life. Defending it, perpetuating it, and helping others to do the same. I mentioned earlier that, that in a room like this, it isn't, and people online that, that people have undoubtedly had to wrestle and deal with this topic, this issue. And I want you to know that the intent again is not to heap condemnation on you. That's not the desire or our job or my role. You know what, in some sense, God came into this world through his son Jesus not to condemn it, but to save it. And a lot of the things that we're experiencing in our broken and sinful world and the, the, and the offspring of that, the output of that is because we, just, we live in a sinful, sinful world that's run against the design of God. But the beauty of it is that there is hope, there is rescue, there is salvation because Jesus, God through his son, Jesus, steps into the world and he pursues us. He comes after us. And it doesn't matter what you've done, what crimes you've committed, what people know and what people don't know. God is pursuing you because you were made for a relationship with him. And he has provided the means for you to have a relationship with him. And when he speaks into your life, when he saves you, and when he cleanses you, you are saved, you are cleansed, you are washed indeed. Listen to First Corinthians six nine through eleven. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you do you not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice Homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You would think that he could just say sinners. But No, it's not exhaustive, but he's, or comprehensive, but he itemizes. And he's saying, it doesn't matter if this is you, or if this is you, or if this is you, or if this was you, this was you, this was you, this, was you this was you. And then he says, this and such were some of you. This is exactly what you were. But he says, you were washed, you were washed, you were sanctified in Jesus set apart to me. You were justified, declared not guilty in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Psalm 103, Far For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Romans 8:1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the offer of hope. It's the offer of hope from a life-giving God who gives life physically as a gift, who offers eternal life as a gift. He's a life-giving God. And is offered to all of us. Jesus, (laughs) he's different. He's different. The son of God who identifies us with us in our humanity. That, that was his chosen course of action in how he would rescue us. That's also in the mind of God. That's how he chose to intervene into our world. You know how he chose to intervene into our world? He said, you know what? I'm going to come in. I'm going to identify with mankind from the beginning. Luke tells us that Mary, Mary was told that she would, she would conceive and she would bear a son. You know how Jesus entered this world through conception. Could have chosen any other way to enter the world. Adam didn't even enter the world like that. Adam was a human. No, he comes in the womb. Jesus says, you know how I'm going to rescue the world? You know how I'm coming into the world? I'm coming through the womb. You want to know the sanctity of life? The sanctity of life, the Holy Son of God said, this is is how I will enter in the world. That's how I will be birthed into the world. And through that, Redeem it. Through that, save it. I don't want to bring my kid into this world. It's messed up. It's broken. That's why Jesus came. It's exactly why Jesus came. I wouldn't want my kid to grow up in this situation. I mean, I don't want him to suffer. That's why Jesus came. He suffered so that you wouldn't have to. Oh, it looks like he'll have a short life or she'll have a short life. I don't want her to have that quality of life. Jesus came to die knew that the purpose of his life was to come and die and even though we were we're in our sin in our vulnerable state he doesn't discard us he doesn't throw us away he doesn't minimize us He doesn't sacrifice me and you. He becomes a sacrifice for me and you. He's different. And because he's different, we have hope. We have hope and we have a way out from any situation. He's a life giver. He hates death. Death did not come in through him. He hates death. He hates death so much that he gave his life for it so that death would be eradicated, conquered, and done away with. You know why? Because he's a life giver. May we, as image bearers, be givers of life. May we resemble and image of our God by benevolently welcome life into this world, not discarding it. May we be like the God that we image by being gospel proclaimers, proclaimers of hope so that we might image him and giving people the opportunity to embrace eternal life through the message of Jesus Christ. That is ours. Rabbits aren't sharing the gospel. Squirrels aren't sharing the gospel. You know who gets to share the gospel? People redeemed and saved by that gospel, his image bearers. All we have before us is opportunity, 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 let's take advantage of this opportunity as we swim upstream in this culture of death. May we be the people of life.